So as I briefly mentioned this morning, we are still working off of a preaching series off of the TV show, The Chosen. And this week we find ourselves in the Gospel of John with Nicodemus meeting Jesus in the night. So that's where we pick up. John chapter three, verses one through 21, select verses. Let us now listen for a word from the Lord. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you. We speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, Yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I cannot lie to you all. I feel as though I have stepped into worship with a heavy heart far too many times already this summer. This morning, I'm naturally reminded of the words of the great Swiss theologian Karl Barth who said that faithful Christians should always do theology and live life with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Jesus walked this earth preaching and teaching and confronting empire on a daily basis, and that's what we read about today. So when we see shootings and mass murder, division and power grabbing from lawmakers, rights being stripped away, the need of protest and activism, pain, darkness, loss, more division, anger, hurt, war, addiction, inflation, and so much more flooding our news outlets, we can't help but cry out, when, O Lord? When will your kingdom come? When will we be whole again? When will hate be no more? When will fear be wiped away? And how? How might Christians like myself and those of us in this room take on these hard places? 
How might we show your light and show your love in darkness, in a time when your name is being used to slander, when division floods the streets? How might we rise up and pray? How might we read and hear your word anew this day? And then the Spirit moves, as she always does, and this week, as, our, as a church, we find ourselves studying John 3. It's not coincidence. We've all seen signs like this, right? Maybe you've seen them outside of sports stadiums or on street corners. Maybe you've seen them at Disney World. It might have been a group of people or maybe one individual with a megaphone. I've really seen this absolutely everywhere. T-shirts, bumper stickers, church buses. Don't forget John 3.16. And I'm going to be honest with you. These signs drive me crazy. And that's even after I take a deep breath and remind myself that I know that the people who hold up these signs have good intentions. They really want people to know that God loves them. But in my experience, and maybe too in yours, the message never seems to come across that way. And after reflecting, I thought maybe, just maybe, it's because all that's on these signs is a name and a verse. That means it leaves out anybody who's unfamiliar with the Bible. It's like code or a secret club. And in my experience, it makes scripture feel distant or like someone is shaming me for not knowing the specific chapter and verse and what it says and how it should be applied to my life and my behavior as a believer. And then there's the issue of the way that John 3.16 has been used as a formula or as an if-then clause. He gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life if you believe in Jesus. If you believe in all the doctrine and dogma about Jesus, then you will have eternal life. Then you will be saved. The verse has been used like a litmus test. And as we heard a few moments ago, John 3.16 follows the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, but that's often left out. Jesus tells Nicodemus that in order to understand anything of the kingdom of God, Nicodemus has to be born another time, the second time from above. Their conversations, their conversations where the phrase born again is found, I'm sure most of you know that, also something that we see sometimes written on cardboard signs like this. And though Jesus uses a word in Greek that actually has multiple meanings, we can't forget that. The meaning is both of the word again and also from above is the translation. And though our translation this morning says born from above, the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus is the source of the question, are you born again? Another litmus test. Another question designed to either include or exclude. Are you born again? Are you saved? John 3.16. So I think it's safe to say that I feel for Nicodemus. 
I too have a lot of questions for Jesus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a member of the Jewish ruling council. A Pharisee was a rule follower, a member of a Jewish sect that was noted at the time for strict observances of rites and ceremonies and written law. Nicodemus was also a member of the Sanhedrin, a group of local elites, including members of the high priestly family, scribes, religious experts, and lay leaders. This helps us know that he was incredibly educated and serves as a leader who was interested in doing the right thing. That's where his intentions lied. And John also shares with us that he must have been incredibly curious. Nicodemus deeply wanted to understand faith. And maybe that's something that we can all relate to. He wants to know who Jesus is. He wants it all to make sense. He's taken courses and classes in logic and has learned how to think rationally. He wants to get it all figured out in his head, maybe so that he can go back and explain it to his group. So he sneaks away from the group and comes to Jesus by night to ask his questions. A pastor friend of mine explains it best. The significance of Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the night is saying that light and dark play out. And we see that happen all throughout the Gospel of John. The light of the world is Jesus. And those in the dark are those who don't yet understand or those who continue to stay in the dark. Maybe Nicodemus came at night because it was unsafe for him to come any other time of the day. Maybe he couldn't sleep or he couldn't get Jesus out of his mind. Maybe he had just found out that he was sick and suddenly had a lot of questions about the faith and promises of God. Maybe his job or his reputation or his position was threatened. He came at night because he had questions and he didn't want to be exposed. He didn't want people to know that he was struggling. Historically, we know that Nicodemus had heard all about Jesus. Scholars have pieced together many different timelines that remind us that at this time, Jesus had been performing miracles and accidentally preaching as groups were forming on the street for quite some time now. We can imagine that Rome is hearing whispers of a street preacher that's causing large crowds forming, and they've possibly asked the local temple leader to investigate. So Nicodemus arranges a meeting and asks his questions. He admits that Jesus has made an impact on him, but also admits that he wants to know more. Jesus is, tip, in Jesus' typical fashion, answers with statements that make it even worse for poor Nicodemus. Nicodemus is looking for the answer that will add it up and have a tidy little compact explanation. And Jesus answers with a mystery. You've got to be born from above, Nicodemus. You've got to be born of the Spirit. I think that mysteries require that we listen and that we become open. You must be born again means you must be open to what the movement of the Spirit is doing, like the blowing of the wind, open to growth and change, 
even in our most deeply held convictions. You must be born again means you must see the world as if you're seeing it for the first time. Become open to the newness and beauty of goodness all around you. Being reborn is the realization that God and love and life and the kingdom are very close, always present, and our lives are meant to reflect it. So often, like Nicodemus, we get so covered up with how we're seeing things that we can't see Jesus, can't be open to the Spirit, can't sense God anywhere near. So often, like Nicodemus, we're so busy asking questions or so burdened by our issues that we don't see Jesus standing right in front of us or see God's care all around us. It seems to me that these past few weeks, really months, so many of us have forgotten the power of love. We've forgotten the gift that we receive in Jesus of being born again, the challenge that comes with it to trust God with your life, your future, whatever you're facing this morning. To be born again means to love passionately, to love life and the beloved people that God has given you to love, to love your nation and your city and your neighbors, the ones who need you, your children, to love God with childlike wonder and grace. If you're feeling short of that love, I hear you. And I see you, and so does God. Jesus, I think, was inviting Nicodemus to move from the company of admirers, the intellectually curious, and to become a follower, to stand up and be counted, to declare and follow Jesus publicly, politically, socially, economically, to follow. Nicodemus's conversion now took time. We know from Scripture that three, it took three years, in fact, and that's when he finally stood up to be counted and identified himself with Jesus in a way no one could miss or misunderstand. John tells us that three years later, on the day Jesus was crucified, after he was dead, two men with great courage and at great risk came to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and paid for and asked for the body of Jesus and took it down from the cross and anointed it with precious oils and buried it in a garden tomb. One of those men was Nicodemus, who was born anew, born again, because this time it was daylight and he was alive as he had never been before. We can't fully understand or learn or earn our way to faith, but we can pay attention to the mystery of it, and we can give our heart as best as we can to the God who loves us oh so much, a God who challenges empire, speaks truth, and calls us as followers by name to follow him and to walk and to speak his truth and his light Friends, this is a God who cries out with us in anger and in frustration and in grief, and yet still calls us to new life each morning. So with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, we continue to cry out and lament for change and for the hurt in our world. 
And Jesus gives us the strength to stand up to injustice and to ask big questions in the light of day. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, we are lost without you. We ask that you protect us from ourselves, from our idolatrous ways, the violence we perpetrate, the destruction we fail to prevent. Our power is nothing compared to yours, and so therefore we seek your guidance through word and worship. We pray for the Spirit to lead us in the path of righteousness, and we seek our freedom in Jesus Christ. God of our ancestors, help us to heed the warnings of our biblical narrative. We place idols above you and prioritize self-centered concerns over sacred. God of grace, we choose you, and we return to you. You set a table before us, and we gladly accept your welcome. We give thanks for your acceptance, for your love, for your all-encompassing love, your inclusion, and your overwhelming grace. Help us to be freed so that we can love others as you have loved us. In your mercy, beloved God, hear the prayers that are on our lips, but also on our hearts, the prayers that only you know. And hear us as we pray the prayer that your Son taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, Paul reminds us that generosity is a fruit of the Spirit. With open hearts, we now offer all that we have to God. The morning offering will now be received.
Please join me in the prayer of dedication. Blessed are you, God of all creation. Through your goodness, we have these gifts to share. Accept and use our offerings for your glory and for the service of your kingdom. Blessed be God forever. Amen. As you go from this place, know that the Lord goes out with you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.